All right. So this morning, um, every once in a while when I'm preparing a sermon, uh, there's these times where I'm like, yeah, these are the words. They're right there. And other times I'm like, you know, you have that word that's in your head and it's on your tongue, but you just can't get it out. That's how today feels. So I don't know uh, why Brett knows me well. He looked me in the eyes this morning. He says, I know you need to breathe. Um, So I'm not quite sure what God has for us, but the irony of it is I'm talking about faith this morning. So I'm supposing that I'm supposed to have some faith about what God might do uh, today. Last week, uh, I used the story of uh, the parable of the yeast. And um, something that stuck out to me in that parable that I said is that um, yeast requires faith. Right? Like you're, you have faith that it will do the work that it will do. I'm assuming everybody in this room at some point has cooked something before or baked. Is that a... Is that an appropriate assumption? Yeah. Have you ever cooked something or baked something and you follow the recipe and it just didn't work out? How frustrating is that, right? I I remember the first time um, I was probably 11 or 12 years old, and you all have heard maybe of Jamie Oliver. He had this show called The Naked Chef. He was not naked. Uh, that's important to, to distinguish. Um, but he was really into like healthy eating and healthy you know, stuff. And it was the first cooking show that I had ever watched. And so I was super stoked about it. And I saw this recipe that he did. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. And so you know, this is the, the era of dial-up internet. This is how passionate I was. I was sitting there while the, my prodigy internet was going and taking forever and downloading the, the recipe. And I, and I spent all this time preparing it. My mom, you know, she kind of peeked her head in. Do you want help? Be like, no, I got this. My dad, do you want help? No, I got this. Uh, and inevitably, I didn't have it. Somehow, something that I was supposed to bake for 45 minutes ended up taking over four and a half hours. It was like <laughs> 10 o'clock by the time. And it still didn't quite finish. I don't even remember. I, I was, <laughs> not memorable other than I didn't do well. Um, But I just remember that kind of that air being let out. Like I felt really kind of dejected because I had spent all that. I mean, I had watched it. And of course, I mean, anybody that's watched a cooking show, they make it look so easy, don't they? And you're like, of course I can do this. And then I inevitably don't do it. And it's just deflating. And... um, And as I was thinking about this idea the kingdom of God is like yeast, um, I started to think about what are the moments in my life where I feel deflated as the yeast is kind of working through my life, as the kingdom of God is working through my life. And so I wanted to talk about that this morning. That's why I did Expecting the Unexpected. I would say that maybe partially why I feel a little bit of anxiety is I feel like this is something that is still being worked out in my life, right? Like, uh, I, don't, I don't think that I'm supposed to have it all together when I stand here and teach, but I think there's some things that are a little bit, I'm still really working through, and there's other things that maybe I'm a little bit further on in, and I feel more mature in. This is one that I feel like 
Uh, I wish somebody else was teaching it so I could sit down and listen, but I have to do it, so I'm going to try this morning. Um, I know that I've preached through the Hebrews text a lot. Uh, it happened to be in the lectionary this week. And so I thought I'd start with something basic but not so basic, which is faith. And that's why uh, in the bulletins I included this. I know usually you're used to Pastor Joe passing things out, so I may have thrown you off. I don't know if there's any left, but if, if there is, maybe Brett or Lori, okay, just in case you want to share with your partner. So, like, a frustration of mine is, you know, there's certain things about church and about God and about just living the Christian life that, at least when I've been taught it, it's very black and white, right? Like, I'm like, yes, this is what it is. And then as I've become a pastor and I've started to, I guess, study more and more, I'm like, oh, this isn't nearly as black and white as I thought it was. Interestingly enough, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, there is a huge debate about what this even means about faith. Is it a definition or is it an explanation? I mean, there are scholars that are kind of like throwing tomatoes at one another. Um, and so for me, that makes it difficult because I, I'm a black and white kind of person. So I wanted this morning to give you several examples of faith that I found helpful as I was studying this week. Things that may speak to you, things that may help kind of unpack or unravel what is faith a little bit more. So I just wanted to read those. This is, again, in the context of Hebrews 11.1. 1. So the verse is, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So the first thing that I just reflected on, this is the, the first part is just a thought that I had this week. Faith is, faith is related to the unseen and seen. So if you look at that verse, that's clearly what it's about. This is the contrast provided to us. That which we can see, and that's what, that which we have yet to see. Um, the next one is uh, by Marie Isaacs. She's a, a female theologian that wrote a commentary on Hebrews. And she put, faith is living by the conviction that God's purposes will be fulfilled in the future. Uh, that was a good one. Uh, this next one, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. It's a French... Bible translated into English, but the, the translation of the French is, faith is a way of already possessing what one hopes for. And all, uh, the next one is a commentary on Hebrews as well from Paul and Eugene. It says, to have faith or to trust God shows that faith is an event, not an object. Faith is expressed in action. Uh, just to speak about that for a minute. I think a lot of times, at least when I picture faith, it's kind of like this thing, right? But it's not necessarily this thing that I hold. It's kind of subjective, and I don't really know what it means. I think what Paul and Eugene are pointing out and what the Hebrew author is pointing out is that faith is something tangible. It's something concrete, and it's something real. And while you may not be able to see it, uh, like the often used metaphor of like the, the spirit of God is like the air, you can't see it, but you can feel it. I think faith is very much like that. And faith is cultivated by the very spirit of God. So it's not something that's just an event, uh, is an uh, object. It's an event. It happens. And it's expressed through action. And I think that's really important as we read through the rest of the week, or rest of the passages. Um, it says, faith is living life in light of the reality of God 
and in the assurance that he fulfills his promises. That's Gareth Koch. N.T. Wright, um, he wrote, he rewrote, looking at the Greek and kind of the debates, he said, what then is faith? It is what gives assurance to our hopes. It is what gives us conviction about things we can't see. I'm going to read the rest of this because this is, he kind of sets the scene for Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. I know you have it in front of you. It says, faith for Hebrews is always closely linked to hope. Faith is looking at God and trusting him for everything. And here's the contrast. While hope is looking at the future and trusting God for it. As we see in verse 1, Hebrews actually defines faith in relation to hope. It's one thing to have a hope, but when you have faith underneath it, it gives it assurance. I may hope for a better world, for a new bodily life beyond the grave, but unless I believe in the God who raised Jesus, my hope may degenerate into mere optimism. I may have a general sense that there are unseen realities around me, perhaps even some kind of personal force for good with whom I should have, have some sort of a relationship. But unless I believe in the God we know in Jesus, the sense of unseen things will lack conviction. Assurance and conviction were strikingly evident in the people of faith listed in the rest of the chapter. Verses 1 and 2 thus offer a double introduction to the double theme that is now to unfold. So it's Assurance and conviction is that double theme that we'll see throughout there. Um, can you take a moment? Uh, I know that part of the reason why I printed it out so that way you can take it with you because I don't feel like this is suddenly something you're going to read and be like, oh, okay, Sean, that makes so much sense. But can you take a minute and maybe looking through these definitions, talk to one another, what stood out to you, what questions do you have, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that would just be to pause for a moment and process before I continue. So go ahead and take a minute. Look through that, maybe talk a little bit about faith. What stuck out to you? I, I won't presume for a minute that uh, one sermon is going to answer, again, all of this. But my hope is, is that something will stand out to you about the text, about some of the things that stood out to me. Uh, the first one. Uh, again, this is in the context of last week, which is to say that yeast is like the kingdom of God. So it's something that's kneaded in and molded and worked throughout and stretched and pulled and sits. It's baked. I mean, that's kind of the image that I want you to hold. It's worked in. Same thing that Brett used was another parable of faith like a mustard seed. That's size. Yeast, mustard seed. So interestingly, just as an aside, why we think that Jesus potentially put both a mustard seed and yeast is because he was speaking to, po to like two normal roles within society. For the man, it would be planting. So a mustard seed would speak to him. And for, the, for a woman who would often do the cooking, yeast would speak to her. So it was, it's the same statement spoken in a very specific way. So just to kind of throw that out there, something I found interesting. Um, again, I want you to hold on to this because I, I think there's not going to be this black and white answer about faith because it's meant to be worked out. Uh, as it stood out to Marlene, is that it's an, it's, I would even add with Paul and Eugene, it's an ongoing event. It's being worked out, our faith. So it's not just like, when I think of an event, I think of like a concert or like this thing that I'm looking forward to, like 
moments in time, whereas I think faith is this continuing, ongoing event that's meant to be experienced and lived into. Just like yeast being worked into bread, right? It's like it's, it's, it's working its way through. I think faith and hope works its way through in our lives. Oh. There is, yeah. What it, yes, you're tracking right there. You're tracking right there with me. I, for those of you that didn't hear, it's like when you plant a seed, you more or less know what the end result will be, right? Like a mustard tree will develop. Um, right, There's, that's this tension, right? It's like you're planting a seed, hoping that you'll have this harvest. Likewise, I mean, maybe yeast is a little bit more consistent. I don't know enough about yeast. I'd have to lean on my resident scientist on yeast, Brett, on that. But I assume that there's times, um, I, don't, I don't remember what show I was watching, but somebody, oh, it was Brooklyn Nine-Nine. There's some starter yeast that accidentally got baked. That ruins the yeast, right? Like, you can't make the sourdough anymore. So there are things that can impact how yeast works. But again, this is just a simile. It's, it's meant to start to like get our creative juices flowing and understanding. And that's what I like, kind of pulling off of what you said, Nancy, about this. We think that's what it's going to be, and we have this hope, right? All of these people here that are listed in Hebrews 11 that I almost made you read all of, they didn't have that mustard tree. They didn't have that yeast that had blown up. They just had something that God gave them, which was a promise. In fact, what Marlene read this morning was that they died before, and this is my paraphrase, they died before they could hold it, before they could eat the fruit of it. Like they literally were just living in to this promise. But I think there's something really overlooked in my life uh, when I look to chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, which is verse 3. And as I was praying this morning, I was really struggling to find what's the connection between this idea and understanding of faith and then this list of people in faith. And I think the connecting point really is verse 3. I'll read it for you. It says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. I mean, literally, if you turn to Genesis and you look at Genesis 1, you will see the story of creation. And God spoke, and there it was. So let there be light, for example, in verse 3, and there was light. And he spoke, and there it was. They were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Man, I'm caught up on that verse because that verse is about creating. See, this is the thing about that, that you and I, we need to understand about our relationship with God. I think sometimes, and it's very easy for me to do this, in my relationship with God, I'm thinking, God's already got it laid all out. Can you relate to that? Like, he's, he's got the master plan. Therefore, I just got to, like, do X, Y, and Z, and then I'm going to fall right in line with the master plan. 
as if it were that simple. But what I think the author in Hebrews is pointing out is that maybe that's a very, not an unhelpful, I mean, there's some really beautiful theology around that, but maybe what we're supposed to lean into is not that this master plan where we've got to check all the boxes and do all the, maybe it's just we're supposed to be a part of the creating process with God. I mean, that's ultimately, he's pointing out, God spoke, and these things that weren't, that couldn't be seen, suddenly were. Worlds, universes, galaxies, light, darkness, animals. Things that weren't suddenly were spoken and they were. And it's all in relation to faith. It's as if to say God is saying, I'm creating things that aren't visible in your life. And remember, I'm the creator that speaks things into existence. So what could I do in your life? Isn't that more exciting? At least it is for me. Rather than I have to follow this master plan, like I'm going to roll out a scroll and okay, well, what's today's date? August 18th. Okay, this is what I need to do today. No, what he's inviting me into and what he's inviting all of us into is this beautiful picture of creation in our lives, creating beauty. But expecting the unexpected. See, this is this tension that we have, which is expectation. I put up a definition for us because, yes, God does invite us into this creative process where we can co-create. Go ahead, Tom, you can put it up. Um, where we can co-create. And we're invited into this dance. We're invited into this beautiful thing where we get to plant seeds or work in the yeast. I don't know about you, but I struggle with expectations. Here's a definition, again, just a dictionary.com one that was helpful for me. It says, a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Um, I remember at a young age, it was actually something I was reflecting on with my parents this week. Um, and this is why it's close to me. I remember, this was before I even had any concept of God whatsoever. And in the, probably the most audible, real way, without it being audible like I'm talking to you today, there was something deep in my heart that God, I know now is God, it was the Spirit of God saying, you will always be taken care of. I mean, can you imagine at a young age, this is pre-teens, even if I couldn't have attributed that to God, for something so resoundingly strong to say, you will always be taken care of. I probably should have been like the craziest person in the world because I wouldn't have to worry about anything, right? Like I just do, I like, I would be fearless in theory because he says, I will, like any risk, you will always be taken care of. But that's not how the story went at all. And as I was uh, talking to my mom this week about that, and we were just processing that together, um, she said she reminded me of a time right before I was uh, going to go into drug treatment. And I was either going to be, and I know I talk about this a little bit, but it was meaningful for me to hear this from my mom. My mom said to me, um, they didn't know what they were going to do. Like they were completely at a loss, broken down. And it was either I was going to go to jail or something else. <laughs> and my mom was working as a manager at a dental office that she's worked at for I don't know how many years. And suddenly, someday, a guy that 
my parents are friends with walks in. And she happens to be, I mean, her office was like a hole. I mean, literally, it was like this big. She happened to be out of her office, and she sees him. How's your son doing? And so he explains that his son just recently entered into a drug treatment center. And that's what my parents were looking for. And then suddenly, I'm on my way on a plane to Memphis, Tennessee to go to a drug treatment center. And my mom said to me that that moment when she was talking to our family friend, she knew that there was a God. She didn't have anything. She didn't know how it was going to all play out. But she knew at that moment it would play out and that she didn't have to worry anymore. And she asked me the question, how many people do you think at House of God have had a moment like that in their life? Where there was just a resounding moment that you couldn't look past, that you could say, there is a God, and he will take care of me. Think about that for a minute. When is that moment in your life that you know he is just so real? See, the struggle is, though, is in theory, again, my mom should have been able to hold on to that moment. I should have been able to hold on to my moment. You should be able to hold on to your moment where you're like, God is so tangibly real and present, and you don't look back. However, we look back. Or we have these expectations of what something's supposed to look like. Again, a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. See, instead of me looking at God saying, you will always be taken care of, you will never lack, these sort of things, I was like, okay, well, then I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't have to worry. Or even worse, I just forgot about it. I say even worse for me because that shaped my life. I wonder what my life would have been if I remembered those promises of God. And maybe that's something that we're combating right now. Maybe it's been a pretty long time since you've received that promise from God or that tangible presence, and you've forgotten how real he is, how he's creating something that's in a work in your life. I mean, how many of us, you know, you have these things in your head that you want to see happen, how many of us would love if God was like just spoken into existence? Is there anybody that wouldn't raise their hand? Yeah, okay, we can be like super holy and be like, oh, but the process and, the, and all the learning that goes through it. No. If God said, I will speak this into existence for you today, we'd be like, okay, let's be real. But that's not how it goes. And so I, I personally, and I don't, this is the struggle that I have, I don't want my personal journey to be conflated into your journey. I don't want my journey to say that that's your journey. So I want to be very careful about this. But I do think that we can all, if we're honest with ourselves, admit that we probably struggle with expectations. Expectations about how God's going to do certain things. A belief that something will happen or be the case in the future in a certain way. Our way. Have any of you ever been disappointed before? <laughs> so then we at times struggle with expectations. I mean, like I said, when I made that meal, I was deflated. Expectations. That's just a simple example. But how many relationships, how many jobs, how many situations in your life have you had, even what you would say are healthy expectations? 
And then suddenly, you are just deflated, expecting the unexpected. Uh, I put this up. This is a reflection that I had. Um, go ahead, Tom. Our expectations can distort our understanding of God's presence, perspective, and promises. So what does that mean? The way that we think things are going to play out. So God gives us a promise, or God says something to us. God does something, or maybe it's just a situation. Maybe we won't even say that it's God, but maybe it's just a situation in your life that you feel is different. Maybe you can't say that this is God, but you know that there's something different about it. Can you relate to that? I don't know if that's just me. Maybe I can't, maybe I'm not so sure that it's God, but maybe it's, it just feels different. So we have expectations built around that, the way that it will play out. For me, uh, it's relationships, for sure. So our expectations, the way that we think that it should play out, the way that the future should go, not just how my present, but how, what the end fruit's going to be. In some ways, it's like saying, yes, a mustard tree, but it needs to be like X high. I need it at least 10 feet high. <laughs> if it's not 10 feet high, it's no good. So it may not even be that your expectation, like it's natural for the mustard tree, or it's natural for the yeast to cause rise, but it's like, I want it in a certain way. This is the fruit that I want, and it's not acceptable if it's not that. So our expectations can distort our understanding of God's presence. So that's what I'm saying, like, because I was so caught up with how it would play out, I missed the most important thing of all. God is present with me in that. See, the banquet isn't the beautiful thing. It's that God sits at the table with us to feast. Like we get so caught up on what's on the table, the spread, right? And it's delicious. But really the crazy thing is, is that the God of the universe who just said, I spoke this stuff into existence, with the word, would sit at us at the table. Like, sit here and say, I am present with you. But expectation is like, but yeah, but like, I wanted a little bit more potatoes. <laughs> Our perspective, and I mean like universal perspective, time perspective. Like I get so caught up in my nuanced moment of what I'm going through trying to see how it will play out that I completely miss that there's this wider perspective that God's really working into existence and inviting me into. And then promises. The toughest one for me, and maybe for you, is that God promises, promises suffering. What? How can we reconcile that with the goodness of God? If we go further into Hebrews 12, we see that God also promises some form of discipline. <laughs> so suffering and discipline, I didn't sign up for that kind of stuff, right? So I want to deal with a little bit of our expectations as we talk about faith. Uh, what was really interesting to me is I like the archaic meanings of, uh, of words, too. So like, what did they once mean? I put this one up there um, for you. So expectation historically used to mean one's prospects of inheritance. And I felt like that's perfectly in line with this text. Because what do we see here with all of these people? Them worshiping God, believing his promise, and they're anticipating or expecting an inheritance. 
Now, what the Hebrews author uh, is pointing out is that they were, their faith was active and they were looking towards Christ. Now, our faith, because we know how it goes, right? Like Jesus lived, he died, he was resurrected. The ways, the words, the works of Jesus. But then we also have this future hope that's talked about here. That's what, that, what is invisible in our lives. I wrote it down. I, I read a commentary. I, I meant to write uh, who wrote it to give them credit, and I forgot. Um, but here is some of the future hope that we have. Uh, if you wanted to write down these verses, you could. Um, so Christ's return that is a future hope. You can see that in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Titus 2, 13. So that's one of our future hopes, Christ's return. I'm just giving one example. There's more examples. Another future hope that we have is the resurrection, the bodily, physical resurrection. Okay? Not just like the spiritual kind of our body is being resurrected, being made new. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, glorification, with that, with, and glorification is the, the means of removing all of our sins. So we no longer... We're like Christ in that we have no more sin. No more running from God. That's 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. So 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. And the one that just blows my mind, again, this is like sitting at the table with God, as he says that we'll reign with him, that we will have authority and power in eternity with him. We will reign with him. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. And then I'll give you another one, which is Revelation 22, verse 5. Revelation 22, verse 5. So we have the, these, this list of people. So as we're li living towards our future hope, right? Like it hasn't, can you touch our glorification? Uh, do you all sin? No. Thanks, Nancy. Can I touch you? Can you pray for me? <laughs> um, we all sin. We don't hold glorification. Like, we're not there yet. Okay? Jesus hasn't come back. We haven't been bodily resurrected. And while we have authority and power that's in and through Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit given to us by the Father, we still have a whole other level of authority and power for eternity that we haven't even... I mean, it's like, I remember when I was in treatment, Chris Rice wrote a song, Taste the Color Nine, I think it is. It's like, color nine? Taste it. But that's like what eternity is going to be like. It's like our paradigm for understanding is going to be so much bigger and expanded, right? And so when we start asking questions like, what is faith like a mustard seed? What does God think about when I don't have faith? Or like when I have insurmountable odds, what I see is this opportunity to relinquish control, relinquish our expectations, which is really, really difficult. So I had um, Marlene read chapter 32, or I'm sorry, uh, chapter 11, verses uh, 32 through 39, well, actually 40. If you look at that list, there's not a whole lot of cool stuff that's happening there. <laughs> I mean, like, there are some cool things, 
But then there's also like that whole death and suffering and flogging and mocking and chains and imprisonment, killed by the sword. Uh, anybody interested in wearing some sheep and goat clothes? Uh, destitute, persecuted, tor tormented. Mm, the interesting thing is all these people, all these prophets, all these people of God are living just by God's word, promise. Like, they believe so much into the promises of God that they would be willing to experience that. Do you believe God's promise so much that you would be willing to do that? A lot of times I'm going to give that a hard no. Like, I'm not interested in that kind of suffering. It's because of my expectations that maybe God won't be present with me in it, my suffering, for example. So faith is being worked out. I just wanted to give Abraham as an example. I know maybe you've heard many instances of Abraham. Um, if you were to write it down, because I strongly, I would suggest that you read through it. Hebrews 11 gives a list of names. Read about each person. Talk to me about their faith. Talk to me about their insurmountable odds. Right? Talk to me about when they didn't feel like they had very much faith. Because it's all right there. Abraham, as an example, he literally has God speak to him. Okay, this is chapter 15. This is, again, his promise. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abram responds. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. Right? Like, you hear expectations? Are those statements of faith? Heck no. <laughs> Absolutely not. He's challenging God. He's like, No. Do you not know my situation, God? But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. And then, like, I love how, so remember how I said that God invites us into that creative process and he speaks things? He takes Abram outside into creation. Something bigger than himself. Something bigger than his situation. Something even bigger than the promises that Abram or the expectations that Abram had before. And he's, he takes him outside and he says, look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. Note that he doesn't say, hold the stars. What does he say? Look to the stars. Kind of not visible but not visible. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And verse 6 says, and he believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. So he just believed him talked about that before, just, okay. So you would think, again, would any of you like a promise like that? God take you outside to look at the stars and be like, here you go. <laughs> I would love that. And you would think with a promise like that, that life would be like super good. You would just get it. But we're talking the next chapter. He is going along, going along, and then he has a, a slave that births him a child because he doesn't trust God. Okay. There's also this moment where 
he's walking along, and there's a great famine in Egypt. And he says, um, Sarah, you're super beautiful. And they're going to think that you're my wife. Say that you're my sister, so that way I don't get murdered. Is that an act of faith? I mean, he was just like he, expecting the unexpected. See, I think what I see in Abram, and this is just my perception of the text, is what I see is that Abram assumed it was going to go one way. Like, I get this amazing promise from God. And so it's going to go like this. And maybe that's our Christian walk. Like, okay, because I love Jesus, maybe my life is going to be like this. And then suddenly it's not. And suddenly we're face to face with the situations like Abram's, like Abraham as we know him. And we're like, what do I do with that? Live for me. Tell them that you're my sister so I don't die. But God took him outside and said, you'll have heirs. You don't need to worry about being put to death. God will take care of you. See, Abram is still working it out, and eventually we know him as Abraham. He's trying to find what it looks like. I think expectations um, really distort God's promises in our lives. So uh, that was an example. I gave you some future hope. If you were to continue reading through the text, and so we, I'll just give you an aside. Matthew 17, I know I'm taking a really long time today. Matthew 17, I was like, I don't even know if I'm supposed to preach on this this week. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to start looking to Jesus. Maybe there's something that will I go to Matthew 17. There's a story of Peter coming up to Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, what about the temple tax? I don't know, it's like this big. Jesus talks to him about the temple tax, and he says, you know, like if there's a king and there's his kids and then there's strangers, who's going to be responsible for the tax? His children or the strangers? Peter's like, well, the strangers. And he's like, yeah, Okay, Peter, so go fishing, take a rod. First fish that you catch, pull it out of the water. There's going to be a coin in its mouth. Go pay my tax and your tax. Do you think Peter was expecting that? <laughs> I mean, the Gospels are full of people being encountered by God in unexpected ways to bolster their faith. Note, what did, Peter ask, what did Jesus ask Peter to do? What was Peter? A fisherman. So he used the things that Peter knew and would understand, but then he expanded his faith. I mean, can you imagine opening the fish's mouth and there's this coin there? Jesus like, I got you, Peter. You know, here you go. This is unraveling our expectations in unexpected ways. That's why I said the only thing that we can expect is the unexpected. So if you were to continue, and there's so much more that I would want to say about this. We talk about insurmountable odds. We talk about when we feel like we need more faith, more hope. I think part of that is because of these explicit and implicit expectations that we hold in our lives, these things that prevent us from just being present with God in the midst of it, for trusting his perspective, for leaning into his promises, even if we can't hold them, even if we can't see them, if we can't taste them. And so the author to Hebrews in verse 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so people, these cloud of witnesses, these people that were doing these things without knowing what the mustard tree was going to be or what kind of rise they would get in the bread, those are the witnesses. 
We did it. Let us also lay aside every weight in the sin, the sin that clings so closely. So what is weight? I, I don't think that expectations are sin, by the way. I think when they become idols, they become sin. Like, it's okay for you to anticipate that God might do something in a certain way. That's not, but if that's what you become obsessed with, that's what a sin is. But he says, just get rid of the expectations. Rest in me. These sins that are actually making you run away from me, let go of them. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking ahead to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I've said this before. He already ran the race perfectly. So we can just look to him. That's why we have to lay aside all of these things. Rest in him. He talks, uh, he talks about the enduring of suffering, disregarding shame. And that he has authority and power because he's at the right hand of the throne of God. And then there becomes something really, really interesting in, in chapter 12. And I'm completely out of time. I'll just um, say this. I've really struggled with this tension of God being a loving father and discipline. I'm still trying to reconcile that in my mind. If God is so loving, how does he discipline us? Then I had kids. <laughs> And I don't think that you need kids uh, to have this. I think you can see this in your own life. But what I realize as a father is that I make a promise to my sons. And immediately there's expectations. So like the most recent example is, you know those school fundraisers that we all love? <laughs> right? Like, yes, these are my favorite overpriced items. He opens up the folder, and the first thing, he doesn't look at any of the goods to be sold. He looks at his prizes. And he's like, oh, I can get a Nintendo Switch, which is the last prize that only one person wins, and you have to sell 90 items. Right? Like, expectations. I'm coming to your house, right? I brought the, no. Um, yes, exactly, that I have to sell. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say to him, in love, hey, buddy, <laughs> it would be cheaper for me to buy you a Nintendo Switch, right, number one. But this idea of, but daddy, I want this. But daddy, I want this. But daddy, I want this. I'm like, chill out. Just chill out. How many times do we just need God to say, chill out, right? Just chill out for a second. You can't even hear me right now because you're so worked up. Chill out. I won't name names. Chill out for a second. Now. And then we're like, but, but, but. And he's like, no, stop. And we're like, but, 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 no, stop. But, 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 but daddy, I want to stop. You hear my dad voice? <laughs> Put your nose on the wall. Is that loving? For him, it doesn't feel like that at all. But daddy, I just want a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> but let me talk to you for a minute. <laughs> we can work all that out, but we got to go through a process together. 
because it's gonna, I'm going to have to sell 90 items here. By the way, I'm not trying to sell anything. <laughs> and so when I, see, when I see God talk about this discipline, it's like he takes all this suffering, all of this stripping away of our expectations, all of these moments when we say, I need more faith. There's these insurmountable odds. There's this mustard seed that I don't know what to do with. I feel like I need it implanted here. He says, stop. Chill out. Do you know that I spoke creation into existence? Are you going to get caught up with all these steps? Because that's what expectations are. Steps that we can measure. Are you just going to let me create in your life? Will you relinquish control? So stop. (laughs) Relinquish control over to them. Let go of the expectation. How many of you are scared of that? I know I am. But I look at these cloud of witnesses who pointed to Christ. And then I look at the work that Christ did because he was in perfect communion with his father. And he's in that very same love that Christ lives into is the very same love that I have access to. I have his presence. Period. You have his presence. I have, what was the second one? Put the slide back. I'm asking genuinely because I forgot. You put the slide a couple back. There it is. One more. Sorry. One more. There it is. God's presence. We have that. God's perspective. We have access to that. I don't know if you believe that or not. Sometimes his perspective is just be still. Wait. Sometimes his perspective is yes. Sometimes his perspective is no. Sometimes his perspective is silence. We have his promises. If you, can't, if you don't have a promise, like maybe you're going through something right now and you don't know what God's promise is about that. Like, I'm going through some stuff right now. I don't know what God's promise is. So I'm speaking personally. I don't know what his promise is. But I have promises here that he won't leave me, that he's present with me. And like Pastor Joe always says, I'm his favorite. And you are too. Let me pray for us this morning. Um, before I pray also, if you feel like you have more questions, I stand up here so people can come up and say, can you help me understand this more? Because like I said, it was going to be impossible for me to touch on all of this. But if you have questions, let's talk about it. Okay? Um, let me pray. God, we thank you um, that you show us what faith is. Thank you that there's so many authors that have written and wrestled and struggled through what it means to have faith and that they've given us these definitions that we can hold on to. But even as concrete as those things are, I still, just by its very nature, understand that faith is something that is meant to be worked out, that it's active, and sometimes active for us is going to look like just being still, and sometimes it's going to be taking a step in a different direction. Yes, Lord, we look to your return We look to the bodily resurrection. We look to the fact that we will no longer carry the wages of sin and death in our lives and that we will reign with you in eternity. But I also know that my expectations, my way, my race with my terms gets in the way. And I would say that's probably true for everybody in this room. 
So God, maybe that first faith act for us this morning that we need to pray for is to say, I trust you. I trust you. I don't know what trust looks like in this, but I trust you. Perhaps for some of us, it's we've planted seeds years ago and are waiting for that tree to kind of burst forth from the ground, but it doesn't seem like it will. God, give us patience. For those of us that um, had expectations that were even normal and healthy and right, but it ended up causing hurt because it didn't go the way that we thought it would, would you bring healing to our hearts? Would you show us that your, your words and your ways and your works are much bigger than the suffering that we're going through, but more importantly, that you have suffered and that you suffer with us in our suffering? And would you orient our faith around you, Jesus? You say that we can look to you because you are the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You went before us. And that it was a joy in the midst of your shame and suffering. We thank you for that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.